Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. The uplifting sound of Avishai Cohen with Lost Tribe. He's the bassist from Israel, not to be confused with the trumpeter, who's also fantastic. Good morning. This is Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul. And I put them right alongside in the face of people who are shaping the world of business. And right in the face of the world of business today is Eric Samuelson. You may not know him, but you will by 10 a.m. because he is one of the key people who helped create AFC Wimbledon back in 2002. That is the club, the original club, the original Dons. And they are now, 14 years later, still going really strong. You're going to be hearing a very interesting story about what it's like to create and run a football club. Lots coming up from Eric shortly. In addition to hearing from him, you'll be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkon Derea. Some words of advice for your business. And on top of all of that, we've got some cracking music from the Shapers of Jazz, Blues and Soul. We've got the James Taylor Quartet, Herbie Hancock, and this classic from the Ted Heath Orchestra on a terrace near you. What a lovely little ditty that was. Ted Heath Orchestra with Tom Hark. That's the 1958 hit, and if you're a football fan, you will know it super well because it probably underpins most songs. certainly does at my football club over at Arsenal. But enough of Arsenal today because today is all about AFC Wimbledon and the secrets of creating and making a business, a football club, into a business. And I'm with Eric Samuelson, and he is, as I said, one of the key people behind AFC Wimbledon. He's now, the, I think, the chief executive. Uh, he has been the finance director. Um, Eric, thank you for joining me. We're, we're at a key moment um, because uh, this week and beyond, we're, we're into playoff time, aren't we? I'm pleased to be here. Thank you. Um, yeah, we are. It's the last game of the season later today. Uh, we're playing uh, our last game probably with not a full team, I'd if I'm honest, against Newport. Resting them ahead of the, ahead of the playoffs. The first semi-final is a week today. Uh, and we will find out who we're playing later today. We don't know yet. Now, let's just go back in time for those people that aren't um, in, in the football fraternity. And this is what's interesting about this is it's about football, but it's also about the business of football. Um, AFC Wimbledon wasn't always called AFC Wimbledon. Uh, the Wimbledon Football Club had been around for a long, long time. And then what happened? Just tell me the, the brief potted history, if Ooh. you will, before this, this business, this football club, rather more, more than a business, was created back in 2002. As brief as possible... Um Wimbledon had problems with its stadium because following the Taylor report, it couldn't accommodate the number of people it wanted to hold and all-seater. So um, in a series of transactions, the stadium was basically sold and they, the Wimbledon FC camped at Sellers Park in a ground share, but had no ownership. 
Meanwhile, a group of people in Milton Keynes wanted a football club and weren't prepared to start at the bottom of the football pyramid, uh, work their way up, which is the normal way. And they had approached a number of clubs, we're told, to try and persuade them to move lock, stock and barrel to Milton Keynes. And they persuaded the then owners, some Norwegian guys uh, of Wimbledon, that that was something that should happen. Uh, after a series of protests and, and um, complaints, eventually uh, a commission appointed by the FA concluded that this would be allowed, shockingly really, because it, effectively it's the first franchise in UK football, and the last we think. And uh, the fans said, well, no, a football club should be rooted in its community. You can't just pick it up and move it 60 or 70 miles and leave it the same. We will do what the old Wimbledon did, start at the bottom of the football pyramid and work our way up again and prove that that's what the football club should be and we'll do it the right way. And 14 years later, you're now on the, the hopefully the verge of being promoted into the third tier of, of English football, which is League One. Yes. That's right. Good. Lots coming up uh, uh, from Eric um, here on Jazz Shape. It's time for some more music right now, though. And this is Chameleon from Herbie Hancock and Chris Phillips, the wonderful Chris Phillips, who has been, by the way, if you didn't know, stadium announcer at Wimbledon, as was for, uh, for many, many years. He managed to play this version, the full length, 15 minute version during the team's pre-match warm up. How about that? Here it is. Just a snippet of Herbie Hancock there rather than the 15-minute version of Chameleon, as I said, Chris Phillips, Jazz FM's very own Chris Phillips, got away with it then. I imagine warming up to that would have been an interesting uh, endeavour. Eric Samuelson is my business shaper today, and he's one of the, the key people that helped found AFC Wimbledon back in 2002. You're an accountant by trade. Um, my sources tell me um, reliably. A Deloitte person then became a PwC partner, a risk management consultant, I think, before you probably went on to, to, to run the football club. Was that a good training for um, combining passion with business? Because that's what I look at football as. I mean, mainly it's a, it's a very difficult, it's a, apart from a few clubs that make money, it's a very difficult business to, to, to navigate because it isn't rational, is it? Oh, that's a long uh, involved question. Um, the, the, the training, yes, actually one of the things that I, that I really value looking back and, and realised quite early was uh, the, the nature and the quantity and the width of the training I got when I was with um, Deloitte, then Cooper's Deloitte, and then PwC. And uh, yeah, I went from accounting, auditing, through um, risk management, uh, eventually did a little bit of HR consulting before I left. And it's only when you get into a, a business, a small business in our case, and you start to do something, think, hey, I know a fair bit about this. And you realise that you've got, you've got quite a lot of legal expertise, you've, got, you've picked up quite a lot about HR, obviously you know the accounting stuff. Uh, when you've run one of the business units in the company, you know a bit about running a business and about setting um, targets. And uh, inadvertently, I was extremely well trained for the job that I took on. Now, interesting, people talk about the fit, you know, being fit for the purpose of either owning a football club or running a football club. And um, I, I suppose it wouldn't be unfair to say there have been some unusual decisions, some kind of dubious decisions about whether people are fit indeed, a fit and proper person. You obviously were. Do, do you think, um, looking back, because this this club and there's a whole charitable trust element to which I want to come mm. on to in a bit, do you think that everyone should be 
trained properly. Do you think there should be more procedures in place to ensure that there are other Eric Samuelsons who have the right intentions? <laughs> We're going to clone you. But, but seriously, I mean, you know, in, in the face of people that aren't necessarily as well qualified as you. Well, Lord forbid there be more than one Eric Samuelson. I'll start with that. There's not room, Eric. <laughs> Certainly my wife would not want more than one, that's for sure. Um, no, I, I wouldn't put it like that. I think there are some there's some ownership issues in football which are really unfortunate, and you, and, you, and you only have to look in the papers almost any week to see some of the strange behaviours of some of the owners. Um, but in the end, uh, there's, there's an interesting book uh, by Stefan Szymanski about football clubs comparing them to FTSE 100 companies and pointing out that if you look at the FTSE 100 list 100 years ago, how many of those companies still exist? You look at the Football League 100 years ago, how many of those clubs still exist? Almost all of them. Because someone will always come in and pick up the mess that the occasional stupid or bad owner makes. Therefore, in the end, uh, these things wash out. The bad owners disappear and hopefully the better ones come in. And I think it's probably fair to say in the time since AFC Wimbledon was formed, because of the introduction of things like financial fair play and a greater public scrutiny of the way clubs behave, probably the financial stability of clubs is a lot better than it was. But there's still a fair chunk of highly idiosyncratic behaviour among owners. Stay with me for more from my business shape today. That's Eric Samuelson, one of the key people who's helped found the football club called AFC Wimbledon, and they go by the name The Dons, just in case you didn't know. I'm sure you did. Latest travel in a couple of minutes, but before that, we've got another one in our wonderful series of Future Shapers, someone who we think is going to be shaping the world of business in the very near future. Have a listen to this. My name is Anika Islam, and I am the founder of Woven. It's a contemporary London-based denim brand. We tend to take inspiration from arts, from modern culture and architecture and emerging trends. Uh, What makes us different from everyone else is we try and provide a really premium, luxury aesthetic to our clothing at a great price point. I sort of was actually shopping one day and realised I couldn't find a decent pair of jeans for £50, £60. I'd sort of have to spend over £300 to get something that would last. Um, My family's also been in denim manufacturing for the last 30 years, so it was almost a no-brainer. I could really do something that I was passionate about and create product I really believed in. And it's it's worked so far. I'm very involved. I will feel the fabrics. I will, you know, during the production, I'm, I, I make sure I'm there and, and understand what my customer wants. And it, I feel like the process is a lot more organic than a big chain of something else. Um, so I think it's that personal touch, really. I think our biggest challenge has been to launch in a market that's already completely saturated there's so many good players we're up against huge brands like Levi's and J brand but you know nearly a year and a half on we're stocked in Selfridges, ASOS, John Lewis and over 200 stockists in the UK so I think our identity is really strong and it's difficult but we're, we're making our mark. My ambition is to see it everywhere I want it to be a staple in everyone's wardrobe I want to see it everywhere I want to see it when I'm walking down the street so I guess you could say world domination but in the denim world jazz shapers presents future shapers the future of business 
today. You'll find that future shaper in full at jazzfm.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday morning, I'm very lucky because I get to meet someone who's shaping the world of business, and they are wide-ranging in the in the different industries that they represent. The representation today is from the football world. I think it's the first one here in almost five years of Jazz Shapers, and I'm very happy to say that's Eric Samuelson, one of the uh, key people in the creation of AFC Wimbledon 14 years ago. Eric, what's interesting, I think, about the football world, and um, for people that aren't fans, even they can see it, and for people that are, they feel it. It's it's the passion, and it's the sense. And you talked about it. It's the you don't really choose to be a fan um, at some point when you're young. My father, my grandfather, my great grandfather were all Arsenal fans. I don't ever remember saying I'm going to support Arsenal. I just did. Mm. And I think that's the contention really within the Wimbledon thesis, which is it has to be local. It's part of the community. That's what football is about. As you get bigger and all being well, you get through the playoffs and you go up the leagues, how are you going to retain that sense of critical sense of the rolling community? That's a great question because I think it's one of the uh, massive risks that we face. We, we as, you, as I'm sure you're aware, we hope to move to a new and rather larger stadium back in Wimbledon, back in Plough Lane, in fact. Um, and if we achieve this sort of uh, momentum in terms of crowds that we hope for and that most people get, we'll be getting at least another 50% on our crowds. How many would that be then? How would that work? That would take us up to about, well, the budget I've done shows about six and a half to 7,000 people coming through the gate every week on average. And the thing about that is that it, it, the point I've made to my board is that how do we retain the culture, the incredibly patient and understanding and reasonable culture we have around our football club? I've never been abused. Uh, I'm... We don't have a chairman, so I'm the closest thing you have to it. I've never had anybody complaining or... Well, actually, once, uh, after we lost at Bradford, that a crowd of youths came around the platform chanting, get your checkbook out. But it was led by my elder son. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I don't really feel I was more abused than normal. Um, so the issue is... How, but the, the serious point is, how do you keep that culture, that uh, tolerance and that, and that sense of community when if you grow too quickly? And if you suddenly expand, and, and the, all the message is a lot more people will come if we move to a new and better stadium. It's a real challenge, and, and we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that we are understood for who we are and what we are. And, and I know most football fans don't like the term, but protecting and pr- projecting our brand. Mm. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we believe in. These are the ethical stances that we take on things. We have to maintain that, and it's going to be a massive challenge, absolutely. And I guess the parallel, just thinking about it, is that what you're having to do is manage expectations. Because if you're a business and you're private, it's shareholders. If you're a business and you're public, it's the it's the stock exchange. It's it's another form of shareholders, but it's far more public, and that's the arena. Football again is unusual. Your shareholders, if you like, are not just the the people that put money at the beginning, but they're the fans, and they're not they're not necessarily. They've been nice so far, as you said. The, the this this the struggle that you've had as a business or rather as a, as a club to reassert yourself. I mean, you, I think if I'm right, you you got promoted five times in about nine years. That's right. You got well, you went right throughout the ranks. Um, I imagine they will get impatient for success again and uh, and all that. Are you going to be the culture is important, but are, are, do you think more money will come? I know you have, <coughs> have sponsorship now, but are you going to be actively seeking more help? You're going to need it, aren't you? Well. You know, people would have said, people did say, um, some quite senior people in football, that what we were seeking to do was nutty, 
we really shouldn't be doing it. It wasn't possible. A group of fans, they're good for painting fences and, and all that sort of thing, but they can't run a football club. And we, we proved that, possibly because we set off idealistically and naively into the business that we did, not really knowing what you could do. Um, I think with a slightly harder-nosed look at it, I don't see any reason why we couldn't get promotion into League One and indeed possibly into the Championship under our current ownership structure, which, in case listeners aren't aware of it, the club is owned by its fans. You can spend as much as you like on your share, but you only get one vote. So uh, there's a couple of thousand shareholders, rather more than that. Those are the owners, and um, we don't have a, a rich person pumping in money if we make losses. So we have to budget to be sustainable. We have no choice. It's not like other clubs. We have no choice. Can we sustain this? Can we keep doing this while we go up through the leagues? And will we eventually need investment? Well, let's get to the stage where we find we need it, rather than say we're going to and plan for it now. And when we do feel that we need it, I think what we have to do is go back to the owners and say, are you happy to be, for example, a lower level championship club battling away to survive, avoid relegation every season? Are you prepared to give up ownership to some of the um, suits, the sorts of people who used to own Wimbledon and allowed what happened to it to happen in return for some success on the pitch? Be a massive debate and a fascinating decision. I think we're a few years away from it. Well, stay tuned because you might be hearing more about that big conversation that's going to happen inside the boardroom and actually outside the boardroom over at AFC Wimbledon. Time for some more music. This is the James Taylor Quartet with Kiri. And if you didn't know, they're on the Cherry Red record label, who are, as chance would have it, thank you, Don, producer, the official stadium sponsors of AFC Wimbledon. That was the James Taylor Quartet with Kyrie and Eric Samuels has been my business shaper so far and he still is, which is which is really good news. Now, like most chief executives of extremely successful businesses, you're paid a fortune, aren't you, Eric? Um, it's a guinea a year. How did you come up with that? I mean, obviously, you've you, you had a career where you would have made a comfortable living. Um, you obviously didn't move into FC Wimbledon for the money. And you were make, you're making a point, aren't you, about the fact that you don't don't want to be paid for it, I guess. The, the the point about the guinea is, is specific to having a contract that's effective. When um, we realised that perhaps I should have a contract if they wanted to have some degree of control over me, um, I made the point that actually for it to be a valid contract, it needs to be some compensation, some value needs to pass, and so a pound is the norm. But I thought a guinea sounded a bit posher uh, and slightly quirky, which um, perhaps doesn't go with the image of being an accountant, but I like the idea, so that's where it came from. And so that's how it's been. I, when I started in the job, uh, and unfortunately, I could just about afford to do it as a volunteer, and I really wanted to. I just promised my wife two things. One is I would not spend all my time at the club, and two, I would not invest my pension in it. And I lied about the first one, and I've been honourable and stuck to the second. So. <laughs> and indeed, when I come to retire, they owe me 13 guineas, which uh, will certainly help top up the pension fund. Now, this the, the, the business that is um, underpinning it is, um, as I mentioned, alluded to earlier. There's a um, a very good underbelly of doing the right thing by the by the players and by the mm. community. Just tell me a little bit about why that's been so important. I mean, I guess it's to do with the fact that you're you're owned, if you like, by by the fans. It's it's 
I think everyone's got their own take on that, actually. It, it's to a large extent owned by the fans, owned by the community, and therefore representing what the community would want and what the fans think is appropriate. But also, it's um, fr- from my personal perspective, it's about, uh, I believe in um, righting wrongs where you possibly can. And there was an, without getting into too much detail of it, there was an appalling wrong done to the community of fans of, AFC, of Wimbledon FC um, and the community in which it resided, even if they didn't come regularly. And I think creating the club we did and, and presenting it as highly ethical, doing things the right way, whether it be by joining f- for non-football fans. If you think of Man United or, or Arsenal, sorry, I should have said them, Thank you. Uh, being at level one, we started at level nine. That's as low as you can get in the football senior football tier. We did that because that's the right way to do it. We like to do the right thing and stand by those principles whenever, well, always. We don't always do the right thing, but we always try to. The story has been a one of an underdog, and even when you know back in the day when Wimbledon was doing really well, it was still the underdog. It was still the you, you've got yes. to be joking. This isn't going to happen. Yep. That underdog status um, is fine on the pitch, and it's it's fine when the fans are there. When it comes to you actually keeping ahead, when all amongst you around you are losing theirs and so on, how have you dealt with the difficulties and the trials and tribulations of actually seeing those ups and downs? creating something out of nothing and going, as you said, from the bottom up. I mean, that must have been testing. I suppose it was. It's never felt like it, you know. Um, It's only when you're engaged in a conversation like this that you perhaps step outside the business and say, oh, actually, that's quite good, isn't it? Uh, Because most of the time what you do is you go and do your job. You go and do the things you need to. And okay, there are the stresses and strains of will we win the playoffs, but uh, I have a regular saying, which I think the manager's now bored rigid with. After a game, I pop my head in. I don't. We don't have a long conversation after any game. We we'll leave it for a couple of days. But if you're lost, you know, nobody's died. Let's get back to things on Tuesday. And his expression is, "Let's go again." It's the same with the business. You, you suffer setbacks, but look around, count the cost, get into perspective, and, and let's go again. And we do regularly. We're going to be going again very shortly in my final chat with Eric, plus playing a track from Louis Armstrong. That's after the latest traffic and travel. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Sisters and brothers, this is Reverend Satchmo getting ready to beat out this mellow sermon for you. My text this evening is when the saints go marching in. Here come brother Hickenbottom down the aisle with his trombone. Blow it, boy. That was Louis Armstrong with his take on when the Saints go marching in. And of course, you will recognise it, I'm sure, even if you're not a football fan, as the one of the most famous terrace songs um, that people tend to sing to when they're excited about someone or other. Eric, you've you've created this thing with a, a great team around you, and indeed, I'm not just talking about the team on the pitch, but the team that must support the business and the, the, the club every day. You talked about your training, kind of, you know, you sort of found yourself being able to do stuff. Has team been important to you in the way you thought it would be? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, there's um, to give you a sense of it, there's approximately 300 people at some time or other in most years do something voluntary for the club. And that's a sense of a massive team, some of whom come on as a sub for only five minutes, perhaps, in, in put in football context. And others give up, like me, give up pretty much all their time. Um, Ivor Heller, who's the commercial director, has given up a huge amount of his personal time while still trying to run his own business. Uh, and various other directors, plus 
Jim Hillier, who runs a club shop, and a whole range of people put in a huge amount of time to make this work. So there is a sense of team. I don't think we talk to each other much about that. We we just have this shared commitment to a common vision of what we want, which is our own football club, just so we can watch football, but run in a way that we think is is how clubs ought to be run, embedded in their community. Now, the other thing, of course, about watching football is it's fun for people that love watching it. Are you still as passionate about every kick of the ball? And is it just your club or is it just football in general? I watch less and less uh, other football, certainly Premier League football. It is of a significantly higher quality than, than you get in League Two. There's no question about it. But um, I've enjoyed the rise to non-league and seen football played in non-league where you can still watch a game with a pint in your hand if, if you're that way inclined. And the Football League where clearly you can't anymore. But I've enjoyed that culture and that environment and I enjoy the level we play at. And yes, I, I kick every ball. I'm rising out of my seat when there's a header to be to be headed at the far post. Um Although strangely, when it really matters, I'm absolutely serene. When we had a playoff game, uh, sorry, an end-of-season game a couple of years ago and we were 17 minutes away from being relegated, um, I was still, we'll be fine, we will be fine, completely calm. So at moments of extreme tension, I go into, into I don't know, some, some strange place where everything is just absolutely fine. And it always has been. Maybe, maybe that's part of the reason is... Part of my job is, I think, to be calm and to set a tone that we are okay. Don't worry. We're fine. The playoffs are around the corner. Yep. Um, how are you going to do? Betting man. Well, I'm not allowed to bet. You're not allowed without to do the football. Bet. Without the money. <laughs> <laughs> Just an opinion right now here on Just An Shakers. opinion. Um, we'll do really well, um, I believe. We have a very good manager who's particularly good at setting us up for playing teams where let's be honest, they, they spend a lot more than us on their teams and therefore on the face of it they should have uh, a more successful team. There's an awful lot of ifs and buts and if the ball, you know. I'm into science and I quite like this bit about chaos theory where the flap of a butterfly's wing, you know, a millimetre cross on a player's boot can make the difference between hitting the post or going in. Uh, so you can't really predict with any certainty. But I, but I love that about football. It's what causes it seems sometimes you shouldn't win to win. Indeed, has been, so, and that's been going on recently as well, hasn't it? Well, absolutely, and I, and I think that's what's great about it. So we shouldn't win because we're seventh and the highest team we're playing was fourth, but we've got a good team, we've got extremely good players, we've got a, an excellent manager who'll set them up well. We'll get to Wembley, and once we get to Wembley, of course we'll win. Well, listen, I hope you have a very rosy future. I really hope that you manage to pull off the coup which will be returning to Plough Lane. I know there are some machinations still to go on the planning, but fingers crossed on that front, big fingers crossed, as someone who knows the area really well and knows how much that football means to the community. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? You said that I should choose a song that really mattered to me, which meant I spent quite a lot of time thinking about that. And in the end, I chose a song that um, was my wife's favourite when we first met 46 years ago. Please let that be right or I'll hear, never hear the end of it. Um, and still is one of her favourites. Uh, I heard it through the grapevine, Marvin Gaye. Here it is. Thank you so much, Eric.
That was I Heard It Through the Grapevine from Marvin Gaye, the song choice of my business shaper Eric Samuelson for his wife Eileen. A man who is passionate about football but absolutely perfectly poised and was well trained to become the chief exec of a football club. Somebody who understands where community fits into the business of a football club. And also someone who is unbelievably calm and, as he said, serene and giving perspective at a time when maybe things aren't going so well. A fantastic parallel with the world of business. Watch out for the film, because I think in the next couple of years you will be seeing a film about this phenomenal story in a cinema near you. In the meantime, though, before that film comes out, stay with us here on Jazz FM, because coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mish Rea. It's business, but it's personal. <laughs> 